town, the uh, music starts playing and wants to give an Eric Clapton song. Anybody else know Clapton? Um, we, uh, we're jumping further into uh, Ecclesiastes in a series called Chasing the Wind. And uh, it's, there's, a, there's a guy I thought of uh, lately, uh, and, and he's come up um, on the radar again the last few days, uh, that I think exemplifies some of the things that Solomon's talking about here. And he has recently been quoted for things like winning, Adonis, Tiger blood. Who am I talking about? Charles Sheen. Yep. Um, Charles Sheen had supposedly had reached uh, the American dream. Uh, he was the highest-paid actor uh, in TV, and just recently at two million dollars per episode for a show that he is no longer in. He had uh, fame, hordes of women, goddesses, as he called them. Uh, men idolized him. He had the time and the money to party big time as hard as he wanted. His life recently reminds me of uh, one of my favorite shows ever, uh, Behind the Music, which was which had its its days between '97 and 2006. But it was those first three or four years where the best programs were, and they had some of my favorite hair metal bands. Uh, Motley Crue, Def Leppard, um, Kiss, Nirvana, Ozzy Osbourne, and they told their stories, and they're very similar stories. If, as they interviewed these guys, and they talked about before when they wanted to form to be a man, a band, you know, they just said basically, "Hey, listen, really, all we're all we're after is girls. That's that's really all we're after." Now, part of that is they wanted the money, they wanted the fame, and just the partying lifestyle, but primarily it was. Those girls. They were all examples of hedonism projects that failed utterly, every one of them, because they all, all, all the ones that I've mentioned, and many more uh, in, in that series, and many people around you and me, including the person that looks in the mirror. We're, we see ourselves, uh, hopefully, as failures in the hedonism project. Some of us were still diving headfirst into being into, into the hedonism project. Um, these guys uh, hit rock bottom, some of them changed, others hit rock bottom, and they could not see where else to turn. And so they just kept with it. Some of them are still doing it. Um, it's not just their story. This is our story. And uh, we may, you may not have the same vices that, that uh, Charlie Sheen or, or these uh, different hair metal bands uh, do uh, or they have, but we're all looking to fill our cups. Every one of us. You need to. You, we all have a cup. And it's meant to be filled. Um, the, what God wants us to see is that most of what we try to fill it with is only going to just go straight through it. It will never, never fill the cup. So we jump back to the story of the teacher or the preacher. I think it's Solomon, and he funds and launches his own hedonism project in today's teaching. So let's pray and we're going to jump into the book. Please bless us. Lord, uh, thank you. Your word is uh, anointed, God. Um, we don't have to pray for your blessings over the word. It's there. We pray blessings over each other. In fact, just take a moment and pray for the person to your left, to your right, in front of you, and behind you. Take just a moment.
Lord as we come in contact with your word today, please don't let us go out of here unchanged. Please do not let us go out of here without an aha moment to where we see a little more clearly about ourselves and the world and our worldview and who you are and your great love for a broken world, God. Uh, bless this time and change us as we look to you, Jesus. Amen. Um, last week, uh, we, we talked about uh, uh, the beginning of this uh, of the series. Um, we, we discovered that not only can you not make a difference in this world, you will not make a difference in this world. It was very cheery, lots of warm fuzzies in it, that you will not make a difference in this world outside of Christ, outside of God. That in your own strength, in your own flesh, in your own energies, if you try to do it with you being top of the food chain, you're not going to make any difference at all. Because even the greatest historical figures may be the last thousand years, and then just a few people know a little bit about them. It didn't really matter. They, they came and they went. But God has a story that not only can He take your life and make a difference in your entire life, He can make every moment a difference. He can make every mundane decision you have, every every task that you're like, man, this is this doesn't this doesn't amount to anything. And you say it is making a difference because I'm doing something in you, and I put you around other people that I want you to impact. So we can't make a difference if we don't look to ourselves as being the top of the food chain. So let's take a look at this hedonism project in Ecclesiastes one. Start at verse 12. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to, to get up and uh, there's some at the, the front table. And uh, if you don't have one, take it home with you. Keep it. Verse 12. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. And I apply my heart to, to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Now, first of all, in this whole section here, he does bring God into the picture. Now, the word he uses for God here is Elohim versus Yahweh. Let me just tell you the difference in why it's being used that way, what, what, what we believe, what some of us believe. Um, Yahweh is the name of God. Uh, so it's an intimate, personal term. It's, it's his name he gave to his covenant people. So it's an intimate term that says, you're my people and I am your God and you can call me actually by name. All right. So many times in scripture when you see the word, the Lord with an L and capital O-R-D, it's the name Yahweh that's being presented there and it's, and it's something connected with the Jews, with the chosen people. This term, Elohim, has to do with one, the God who's sovereign and king over everything. And so many times when you see this term used, it's saying, okay, this is not just a truth that's just for God's people. This is overarching truth for every person in the world. This is something that connects at the level of the entire globe and all of history. Okay? And so he's, he's bringing that in, and that's just some context to say, okay, guys, this is not just for you if you believe in my God. This is for everyone, no matter what you believe. Um, and, and he mentions it here. It's an unhappy business that he's given to the children of man to be busy with. And, and some people take a real pessimistic approach and vantage point to this book. Man, it really stinks. I mean, all, uh, everything is a downer. I mean, it's Solomon... Solomon Downer, you know, wah, wah, it 
lives. He's, he's the one who's like, man, life just stinks. But it's not, he's not really saying that. It's not that God has destined us to be unhappy. It's that he desires for us to see the unhappiness of pursuing anything higher than himself. That's actually love. Love is, if you want to, just another definition. Love is when you desire the absolute best for someone and you press them towards it. Now, what that means is, is that if there's anything that they're pressing for that isn't the absolute best, or if it's the worst, you know, you love them enough to try to stand in what? But if God is the absolute best for you, not your health, not your wealth, not uh, having, having the best boyfriend, girlfriend, fiance, uh, husband, wife, um, if those things aren't the best, then, then God is good by declaring those things. God would be a very bad God if he allowed if he allowed for us to think that anything was greater than him. That's why God is he's, he's not an idolater. Um, it's not that God is stingy and selfish and, and that he, he needs your praise, he needs your approval so he can improve his self-esteem. It's he loves us enough to point out that there's nothing greater for, for you than me. And I, so therefore, I don't want you to go to anywhere else because you'll always be filling into a, a cup that won't fill up. But come to me and I'll fill your cup. God loves us. So the unhappiness and, and the tension that you feel at times, you're like, man, God, I think that things, things are not working out. It's like life stinks. God loves you enough to reveal that, for you to see that, because if you're looking anywhere else other than, than Him, it's going to be painful. Verse 14. I've seen everything that's done under the sun. And behold, all this vanity and a striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight. And what is lacking cannot be counted. Right? So it begins by just saying, okay, all right, I've, I, I've, I've, seen, I've seen it all. I, I'm at a place in my life and, and I've, had, I've had the ability to, to look at and to try everything. And he just says, it's like striving after the wind. It's chasing the wind. I want you to think about that for just a second. What if after we get done today, you get your picnic basket, or you go and grab your BLTs from Checkers, which, by the way, they're fantastic. Best BLT in town. A buck, a buck, or a buck's all they are. A buck fifty, you get double bacon. So six pieces of bacon. There's your commercial. But go to, you go and have your picnic uh, in the park, and then you just you just see somebody, and they're, they're, they're running and jumping in, and you can tell there's no, it's not an interpretive dance that's going on. There, and, and, and you walk up to the dude and say, well, man, why, you, you look, you look like you're being very active today. You know, what, what's, uh, well, what is it? He said, well, I'm trying to, I'm trying to catch the breeze. What? I'm trying, I'm trying to catch the wind. What do you mean you're trying to catch the wind? man, can you, can you feel it? Can you feel it's coming by? It's, there goes, there it goes right there. I want it. I'm gonna catch it. You've either better interject a little bit further and just say, "Well, man, what, you know, we need to we need to talk, or you ask God if this is meds, or um, or just run away." I mean, because you know something is wrong with this guy because he's trying to catch the breeze. Because you cannot do that. Well, that's the point that Solomon is making here, the teacher is telling us is that going for anything with all your might other than God is like the idiot who 
nature's madness that's trying to catch the roots. It cannot be done. You will never, you'll never get there. Uh, you think it's crazy. Now, verse 15 is is a is a is an important verse uh, here in in this entire book. What's crooked cannot be made straight. What's lacking cannot be counted. And there's all kinds of different takes on what this means, the poetic language, the metaphors that are being used here, uh, what exactly it means. But here's here's what I think. I think that what's being said here is, is he's saying, look, the world is broken. And so are you. You cannot fix the world and you cannot fix yourself. What's broken? cannot be made straight. What's crooked cannot be made straight by you. What's lacking cannot be counted. You are a broken person in a broken world. You can't make a difference in this world. You can't even make a difference and bring pleasure and real and real joy to your own life. Again, that's where those things are like, wah, wah. Now, what's, why, why is he so depressive? Why is he just bring these downers into our life? It's because he loves us. He loves us to know enough to know we're fragile, we're incomplete, we're very low ceiling of accomplishment. Now we can compare ourselves to other people and feel great about ourselves. Or we can compare ourselves to others and feel really down on ourselves on the other side. But when we compare ourselves to just in the brokenness of the entire world, we're like, man, I'm, I'm just, man, I can say we just we can't do it. It's like, man, it's, you cannot undo the brokenness that's in this world. You can't even undo your own brokenness. God loves us enough. And parenthetically, we're not there yet. But the answer to all that is turn to God. You're broken. The world's broken. You can't fix the world. You can't even fix yourself. Turn to God. Turn to Christ. Verse 16. I said in my heart... I've acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied in my, my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. And I perceive that this also is but a striving after the wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Now some people have said verse 16 is uh, an example why you should believe it's not Solomon. Because he said, he said all the kings that were before me. Well, there was only one king of, of, uh, of the Israelites before before Solomon, and that's the state of Saul. But there was only one in Jerusalem over the Jews. But that's not really the case. Uh, that David was the was the first over the Jews in Jerusalem, but he was not the first king of it, of Jerusalem. Uh, there was Melchizedek. Uh, you could uh, look him up Genesis 14. Uh, he was called the King of Salem. Uh, there's Manozadek, uh, Joshua 10, 11, 10, 1 speaks of him as being king over Jerusalem. Jerusalem had been a city under rule for hundreds of years. And so, uh, again, it's, it's, it, it, uh, that doesn't hurt us from thinking of this with Solomon. Um, he, uh, he mentions to us this man of great wisdom, the greatest wisdom outside of Jesus is what's been proclaimed uh, with the wisest man that's lived. And he says, wisdom, with wisdom is sorrow. You've got to ask why. Why is there sorrow with wisdom? It seems like the wiser you are, the more knowledgeable you are, the more at peace you're going to be, the, the better things are going to be. And that's true in its own right. But, but the reality is, the more that 
you see, the more you see your brokenness. The more we see, the further you can see, the more you just see the rubble of this world. Or the closer you can see even to your own self. I mean, have you, I mean, so you ladies, you've got these mirrors, you know, that's, that's got this ring, this lighted ring around it. You know, and one side is really close and the other is just abnormally close. You know, I mean, you, you look and, and it's like it's, it's poor as a crater in these things. And so as the closer you get to yourself, the scarier it gets. It's like, I don't really want to see, I, ladies, it's no, it's no wonder we hear, you know, that a lot of girls and ladies have difficulties with, with the way that they look. They keep looking at those stinking mirrors, throw those things out. The, the closer we look at ourselves, the more we see our frailty, the more we see our sin. With more wisdom, there is more sorrow. Now, the flip side of that is it's true wisdom is to know that God, uh, God answers that sorrow. He, he is the answer. But certainly we see more brokenness the more we, the more we go. Now, verse 1 of chapter 2 is where we see the hedonism project again. He said, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this is also vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, no pleasure. What use is it? This is hedonism. Hedonism is a general worldview to where a person is out for their pleasure. So he's he's saying that's that's what I did. I mean I committed myself, I've devoted myself to pleasure. So verse three, he says, I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart's still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. Okay, so now he starts to unpack in this hedonism project the different places that I went to see if, if there could be true joy, true feeling in any of these areas. And here's my challenge for you today is I want you to think through and say, now where am I? Where is it that I've been in my life? And maybe you're no longer on that train of seeking that. But, but, to, but to think back, think back to those days. But to analyze yourself today and say, man, where do I fit in this project? You know, and, and maybe something specific that I say, or it may just be an open blank that you say, okay, here's what it looks like for me. Here's where I'm going for affirmation. Here's where I'm going for pleasure. Here's where I'm going to, to feel better about myself. Um, these are the things that I, I live for. Um, and we'll see that he strategically dismantles one by one. So alcohol uh, is one of the things he mentions here. Alcohol is something that uh, with, within, uh, within God's, God's pleasure and within his, his direction uh, could be, among adults, could be enjoyed to God's glory. Psalm 104, 14 to 15 says, You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth, and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. And so, in there, uh, that's just what wine to gladden the heart of man, um, that God created uh, the fruit of the vine, created wine, it's something that's it's a blessing. It's just like any kind of a gift. It's to be done, be done to, to his glory, but to his excess, like anything excessive, it's destructive. 
Um, anything, uh, if you, any part of alcohol or, or, uh, or, or drugs. Uh, I mean, you can take, if you get pain meds because, because you broke your leg, you can use that and it can be helpful and be a part of the healing process and be used to the glory of God. You know, but when it's over with and you still have half a bottle, you know, and you start cranking out two at a time and you start abusing it, then you're now, you know, it's no longer a gift, it's, it's a curse. It's uh, no longer um, a freedom you're engaging in for goodness, but it's a sin you know, that you're engaging in. And there's plenty of, of scripture just about alcohol and the dangers of, of uh, excessiveness uh, in it. And so he, he went and I... I I believe he probably had plenty of times of, of excess with it. Verse 4, he says, I made great works. Um, these were building projects that he had. Um, first, first Kings 9, 10, I'm not going to go there, but you can go there later if you want. talks about how he took 13 years to build his own house. King's house. 13 years. Now, that's not just... 13 years with crew like we have around here where maybe there's 5, maybe 10 people, you know, working for 6 months, 8 months, maybe a year. But you know, I mean, there's no telling how many, uh, maybe hundreds of people that were involved for 13 years to build his home. First Corinthians, excuse me, First Kings 10, 17. If you guys are able to pull that up, it uh, great. Um, talked about, he built what's called the House of the Forest of Lebanon. Now check this out, just one little piece of, uh, in 1 Corinthians 10, 17, that talk about his House of the Forest of Lebanon. It says he made 300 shields of beaten gold. Three minus of gold went into each shield, and the king put them in the House of the Forest of Lebanon. And so he made all of these shields of gold, 300 of them, and that he hung all around this, this one house. This one house they built. So this search, what he was doing, the, the first one of, of, of wine, of alcohol, would be one of just either personal pleasure and personal, I mean, the, the feeling that you that you get from it, um, or sometimes what people will do with alcohol or drugs is they're doing it just as an escapism. That they're not doing it because it makes them feel good, they're doing it because it numbs feeling so bad. And either way, is you're going to it as a God. You're going to it as, a, as a, a Savior in your life. Now here, this is one in which he just said, all right, I'm going to press in. And he even made a, a house for one of his wives, the Pharaoh's guard. And, and he fortified the cities of Hazor and Megiddo and Gezer and, and, and a bunch of others. First Kings 9 talks about that. Um, to where, I mean, he was, he did all of these, all these projects that it's like, all right, man, my personal possessions and things that I'm able to accomplish. You say, all right, look, look what, look what I've done. And, and so that becomes the pursuit, the hedonistic approach for us is, how can I pad, how can I pad my resume? How can I make myself look better? How can I press for my fame and what my accomplishments are? Is there anything wrong with accomplishments? No, we're called to be an active people. We're called to press in and to bring to bring blessing to the city. Just read again Jeremiah 29, that section about how we're how we're to bless the city that we're in and, and, and bring peace of God. And I believe God has many plans for you here in Huntsville, Alabama, to affect the world in great, great ways. The question is. 
who you build it with. Is it your name? And if it is, why not? What, what is it that you think is lacking in your life that you need, you need to pad your, your own recipe? You need to feel better about it. Because the real question underneath that is, what don't you understand about what Jesus comes for? Because you're trying to add troubles. There's something that's just not here. You're thinking, Jesus, you're, what you did is not enough. God, you are not enough. I've got to do more for me to be okay. He says, I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. Now, he moves from his own personal accomplishments that, that really would have been about, about him and many of the things that, that brought pleasure to him and to his own family to now this is public works. Now, this is humanism. This is, this is philanthropy of, of doing better for those that are around him. And he made, he made all these, I mean, some versions say gardens, um, but, but really the... What the, what the original language points to is there was huge orchards of all this fruit. Beautiful orchards. And all these parks that people could come to. And uh, I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever heard about um, uh, the hanging gardens that, uh, that, that existed in Babylon and other times. And, and, and people knew about these things. And, and the beauty um, of the awe that came upon people when they said they would come and they'd see Look at what man can do, what man can accomplish. He created life. He created life. He created you. Maybe, there's, maybe that's where you are. Maybe you're a part of the life-giving business. Maybe you're in the medical world. Maybe you're in the research and development world. Maybe you're in the artistic world. And you look for your meaning in life because you're like, if I can just make a difference, or if you just say, if I can only create something beautiful, I know that I, I, I counted here. Man, beauty's important and making a difference is important and, and pressing research and development and helping people is vital. But if you're going there for your, if you're going there to feel good about yourself, then there's something you, you drastically missed about what Jesus accomplished for you. Verse 7 says, I bought male and female slaves had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the children of men. So this is where he starts talking about not only possessions, but power, control, and how we can go there for our meaning in life. Slaves. Um, and we, we could discuss slaves, slaves and slavery uh, offline uh, if you desire, but, but just in general terms, I mean, these are the people that both he and, and if you bring it to here, to where we are, the people that you boss, the people you control, even the people you influence. Because there may be people that they, they follow, and they follow you on Twitter, you know? Or they're your Facebook friends, and they, they keep up, and they, and they like what you have to say when you make, make comments. You influence them. And so you think, man, okay, if I can if I, I can only be liked enough, and man, I remember that. You guys are students, particularly any of you who are middle school, 
in high school and middle school, that was a tough day. My, my hardest day. Some of y'all, it's, it wasn't as bad. It was tough. And uh, you just, man, you just want people to like you. You just want people not to pick on you. Want, want to be in the people, the people that are the in crowd. Man, I would, you know, will have achieved if I could just be a, a part of that. And many times we can compromise. Now you guys are adults. It's not just about school, is it? Social circles, which that run in. Uh, socioeconomic circles, which, man, if I just had this thing, if I just made this kind of money, or educational circles, you guys are in academia. And so, okay, I'm, I'm really going to be respected among my peers once I get that degree, and I will arrive. You know, when that happens. And we're always looking to something because we want, we want to approve of ourselves, we want others to approve of us, and we don't realize what the approval of God the Father means because of the death of Jesus. How big that is. And if we know it, if we know it, it'll radically change the way we are. And, and we'll, you know, should, should we want people to, to have respect for us? Yes, absolutely. We should be respectful people. But if we live for that, there's something that we missed in the gospel. Birds. Flop, silver, gold. These are resources, the things that gave, give the ability to so-called control your and others' destinies. Control, power over people. Musicians, uh, again, talking about art, but also the control of people. Concubines. Now, let's, let's anchor here for a few minutes. Let's talk about concubines and uh, um, and uh, there's a question asked in, in, a, in a class, a Bible class, among kids, like, well, you know, what, what do you know about King Solomon? And, and the kids said, kid said, well, he had uh, 300 wives and 700 porcupines. <laughs> well, he did probably have lots of animals, because all those parks are all. But it was concubines. Uh, a concubine um, uh, was, it was basically, they're basically a slave. They were not free. Um, Wives were free. 700 wives, 300 concubines. That's a thousand. What can you do math A thousand. Can you, can you imagine that? I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to imagine. I mean, you, you ladies, if you flip it around, could you imagine having 700, 700 uh, husbands? And you're like, I can hardly imagine having one husband, you know? And uh, it's, it's difficult enough just having one on one. But here's the deal. Here's what, here's what happened there, and this also speaks into what he was chasing after to try to find meaning in, in life uh, and, and in this hedonism project. It was, much of this was about foreign policy. Uh, Solomon became the most influential king in, in the world at that time. And there were people, they would come from countries all around. Even the, I think it was the Queen of, of, uh, queen of uh, Sheba? Anybody? Yeah, Queen of Sheba, I think that was Ethiopia, I believe, uh, where she made a huge trip to come and just sit at his feet and ask as many questions as she could. You know? And so this guy, he was, he was known all around the, the world, uh, at least as far as work could travel. And so what happened was, he was, not only, he was not only rich and influential and wise, he was powerful as a result of all of this. And so lesser kings... What they would do is they'd go to greater kings, and as peace treaties, they would give them a wife or wives. So, okay, this kind of seals the deal that 
And if you've got this wife, and she takes care of you, and she pleases you, then you're not going to turn on us and devastate us and destroy us. And so it was all this foreign policy that uh, that drove this. And first, first Kings 11, verses 4 through 9, I'm going to read that in a second, talks about how ultimately these wives turned Saul's heart to other gods. First um, Kings 11, verse 4, For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as with the heart of David's father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not wholly follow the Lord as David's father had done. Then, check this out, Solomon. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites. Guys, Molech was a, was a god in which they would heat up the hands of uh, the statue and they would put infants on it and burn them to death. This is Solomon. Now, little point here, don't look at these historical figures in the Bible as being your heroes because every one of them failed. There's only one that didn't fail. His name's Jesus. He is the only real the only real hero in all of them. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrificed to their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who appeared to him twice. All of his wives. It sounds a lot like Adam. Or even before the fall, I mean, really what the, what the fall really constituted for him was not only did he eat the fruit, he didn't warn his wife, he didn't speak to her lovingly, you know, he didn't stand in the way between her and, and devastation and destruction of her turning to another God, turning to another way. He just went along with it. And that's the way men have fallen ever since. It's being male instead of being and ladies, it's the same with you. We're all, we're all to be courageous and to say, you know what? No, no, no. I love you enough to not be okay with your path of destruction. Go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. Verse 9, uh, back in Ecclesiastes 2. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in, in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. Now, that's a puzzle right there. So wisdom remains just like... Okay, how do I really reconcile all of this? Is wisdom remaining? And, and honestly, I'm not real. I'm not real sure. Uh, the best that I can reckon uh, is is that in the middle of all of this, he, he knew he had clarity that as he was searching for these things and trying to find it, every time he went there, it's like, nope, doesn't work. Nope, doesn't work. Doesn't fill the cup. That's, that's what it means to me. It's like, it just kept going, kept going, kept going. And to me, that is a blessing. And that's what God wants to bring to our lives. Honestly, um, for, for your friends that maybe they're Christian and they're just they're kind of the prodigal who's, who's gone aside, they're, they're just seeking their own way. They're, they're going, they get their own hedonism project that they're, they're full on. Or even an unbelieving friend, an unbelieving friend by which, which they're just on it. Just say, God, would you please remove the blinders? Would you bless them enough and remove the, remove the curse of deception to where they see 
But then you see, it's like, crap, it's not working. It just doesn't work. It's a blessing. He became great, surpassed all. Now this is where his fame and his reputation and his renown, it just skyrocketed. And this is probably really the point at which he went off the rails. Because he's just like, ah, it's, it's, it's about me. I, I, I can do it. He, he, at some point he did buy into lies and deception. And he just he just went he went for it. And that's, that's pretty scary because again, thinking, okay, do better. But he went for it anyway, and yet, sounds like Dave. <laughs> sounds like me. I know about it. And yet I still go after these other pillars of cup. Even when I'm like, just going straight through, just going straight through, but I'm just going to still put that my energy here. What, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with us? God helps. Isaiah 26 8 speaks to this about renown being nowhere but. But Jesus, our God. Isaiah 26 8 says, In the path of your judgments, O Lord, we wait for you. Your name and remembrance are the desire of our soul. This is, this is a verse some of us need to commit to memory to say, God, it's not about me. God, it's not about my fame. It's not about my. And I, don't, I, don't, I don't care where, where you are at your stage of life. I, I'm not saying, look, I'm. Don't think, well, okay, once I get to a place, once I get done with school, once I get married, once I have children, and then I'm a place of influence, or I'm in my career, and then I'm really, that's when I'm going to press into God and really try to live for No, don't buy into that. Right where you are. Even if you're a teenager, even if you're not even a teenager yet, say, I want my life to be by the fame of Jesus, not my own. And that will inform you. It will transform you. Just ask yourself, ask yourself, wherever you are, you're a, per, you're a career person in the marketplace. You're a, you're a stay-at-home mom. Um, you're a student right now in school. Say, and I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to give up. I, I know God can use me right where I am, right in the life station that I'm at right now. Verse 10, he says, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. Guys, listen. He had the ability, like many Americans. Now, you may not be able to tap into everything as far as wealth. Man, we can tap into a lot of stuff. We have a lot of options. We have a lot of stuff that's in front of us. And he says he, he didn't keep anything from them. And he says, for my heart found pleasure in my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. And, and, and the reality is... It, that Solomon is not saying you don't get any pleasure from seeking a hedonistic lifestyle. There's pleasure that's there. What he's saying is it will not fill the cup. It won't. Never will. Verse 11 our last verse. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. Behold, all was vanity and striving after wind and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. He, he basically, I mean, he's giving us the end of the chapter, the end of the book right here. He's just saying, look, Adam, this big hedonism project, and I, I went everywhere, I tried everything, and all of it was like that idiot in the park trying to catch the breeze. It can't be done. It won't be done. Now, I ask you guys just to, to, to process things through. I mean, not only are, what are the implications to this in your own life, but what are the implications 
within community. We're talking again about the value of Jesus and community and mission and being, being with other people. What, what does it mean for you to see God and His pleasure and His mission and what He wants more than your own? Do you realize it has huge implications on, on how to bless and help those that you're walking with versus if you're just doing it for yourself? Um, I don't have time to get into it, but if you, if you want some extra credit, if you want something else to do, Deuteronomy 17, verses 14 through 20, talks about what a king must do. What a king must do. And how he ended up failing here. And, and just real quickly, you know, the king must be from the Jews, could not turn back to Egypt because of their world and their worldviews, could not have multiple wives, should not have excessive wealth. Here, check. I mean, one of the things that it says: a king of Israel must write out the word of God, write the Bible out, and he must read it. He must fear God and obey the statement. Now, huge implications, and especially about the word of God, about you're a leader of that is pouring into your life. When you go, when you go to something for meaning, there's three things that happen. Listen to me. There's three things that happen. When you go to anything other than Jesus, you're mean. First of all, you set yourself up for defeat. Because it's going to fail. Whatever it is you're going to, it's going to fail. And so you're going to feel defeated. And you're going to feel like a failure. Second, if you go anywhere else other than Jesus for, for meaning in life, you're going to set that dream or that goal or that pursuit or that thing up for failure because it's going to fail. It's going to fail. And so, whatever that dream is, then you're, I mean, you're, all your hopes are going to be dashed. You're not even going to look at that dream. It may be a good dream agenda, but you're not going to look at it properly once it fails because you were anchored to it. You were going to it for meaning rather than God gives you meaning and now you can go to the thing, reflect on the thing. But thirdly, if you go to a person for meaning, listen, if you go to another person, Say they're approval of me, or they serve me, they're loved for me. How do you define it? I go to this person for my meaning. You set them up for failure because they any relationship you marriage, their family, siblings, friendships within within a journey group, community group, discipleship group. Man, if you go to this person, if you, I mean, even me as a pastor, you know, and I try to tell you as much as I can. I mean, I, I'm not perfect. In fact, I promise you this. I will let you down. I will disappoint you, but I promise this. Jesus will never let you down. Jesus will never disappoint you. But if you go to me or to anyone else, go to a spouse and just say, I'm anchored to you. As long as you're okay, then I'm okay. Then you're, you set not only yourself up, you set them up for failure. And when they fail, you will despise them at some level. Because you're like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm banking on you. As long as you got it together, I'm okay. Don't do that. Some of y'all, you need to confess that. And you need to go, who that person is, say, you know what? I've held you up. I'm trying to be my Savior in some kind of way. And I need only have Jesus as that. And, and when you do that, forgiveness will flow and grace will flow to that in that relationship like you've never before. It'll go to them and it'll also come back to you, hopefully. Uh, it certainly will be a catalyst for that. So if you guys can pursue anything other than Jesus, it's not, it's not, it's not satisfying. I just, 
I just tell you, man, just don't go anywhere else. Come to Jesus. Do it today. Right? Like, oh, you Christians. Come to Jesus. Just a minute, and we're going to come to the community tables. If you're a Christian, you don't have to be a member of Sojourn, um, but come and, and take bread, dip it in, into, the, uh, into the wine, with grape juice, and go then with a group of people. Pray. Just reflect and uh, enjoy, enjoy that together. Um, but that's just showing that we're coming to Jesus. We're like, my hope is found in the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. Not any of my stuff. But then, if you need to come to me or come to somebody in that little group or somebody else, you know, I need to talk to somebody because I've set this up. It's for my meaning. And I need to pray with somebody. I need somebody to know it. Hold me down. God, uh, help us right now to process this, to go as we come to the table, the communion table, to let that be a point of confession and repentance just to say, Jesus, I thank God I don't have to go anywhere else but you. And even for anyone who's not a Christian here, that today, today, today could be the day in which they just say, all right, I'm going nowhere else. Jesus, fill my cup. Forgive me and save me.